0: Do you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life, or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success you'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw, and I'm not alone today. I've got my daughter, Eliana. Hi. And she's nine, and my daughter, Isla. Hi. She's six, and the boys are still at school. The day that I recorded this here, I, uh, I get the kids off the bus and while my wife works later in the afternoon. So uh, anyway, just finishing up my podcast and, and they're here. I'm getting them some snacks and all the good stuff that happens when you get kids off the bus. And uh, anyway, so I just wrapped up my interview with David Finkel that you're about to listen to. David was a, is the CEO of Maui Mastermind and he and I have some interesting places and ways that our, our lives have crossed paths in the past, but um, uh, that we talked about a little bit off air and when we bring up briefly in the beginning, but he's a really neat guy, just amazing insights. He mostly helps business owners, but what we do here is we talk about his most recent book, The Freedom Formula, where he talks about these time-saving philosophies, strategies, and tactics that can help you in every area of your life. And one in particular is just totally mind-blowing. So just it's around Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule. It, it will blow your mind probably like it did to me. And it totally has changed the way I'm going to be operating. I've actually already emailed my assistant, uh, one thing that I'm going to ask her to help me with that I've been doing and I don't need to be doing it. I and mean, something that she's really good at. And it's like, uh, it's already helped level me up. And uh, I think you're going to get a bunch of this stuff out of it because he gives us, he gives a bunch of tactics that are really helpful, really useful that you'll be able to implement right away. So without further ado, let me give you David's bio. You check email the moment you lift your head off the pillow in the morning and you bring your work with you on vacation. You sneak glances at your smartphone during family dinners and take business calls and texts at your kids' sports games. And it's as if you've been forced to make a choice between your work or your life, sacrificing time for yourself and family for the sake of your career. But it doesn't have to be that way. In his new book, The Freedom Formula, Wall Street Journal best-selling author and successful entrepreneur David Finkel will help you operationalize working smarter. No fluff, no theory. Finkel shares the detailed blueprint to create maximum value for your company without working nights, weekends, or while on vacation. David is the CEO of Maui Mastermind, which is one of the world's premier business coaching companies and has worked with over 100,000 business leaders, helping them grow their companies and get their lives back. David's work has been featured in media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Business Week, Fox Business, MSNBC, Inc. Magazine, and others. And as always, if you don't have time to listen to the entire episode, make sure you get the action plan because the action plan has tons of tips and tactics, and you're going to love this episode, but you can get that action plan at com slash action. Without further ado, let's get to my interview with David. David, welcome to the show. I
1: appreciate it, Jim. I'm really happy to be here. Success Through Failure. What a yeah. cool podcast name. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Thanks,
0: love it. man. Thanks. It's uh, it's something I've lived out, and I know, you know you've know you lived out in some way, and, and we all have, right? And we, we look at successful people and and, uh, and we always know that there's, uh, there's failure in their background, but we never get to see it. And I love to pull back the curtain on that and, and expose that and really let, let everybody know, let the world know that, hey, you know, you know, your failures, your setbacks, your, your adversity, that's, that's a normal part. That's a normal step on the path to success. So we'll ask you about a failure at some point here in the show. But first, let's give the audience a little bit of background. Tell us kind of, you know, where you grew up and, and kind of the short version from, you know, of, of how you got from there to here.
1: Yeah. Great question. It's funny. We were talking before the show and the two of us had such similarities in our lives. So I I played field hockey on the U S national team and I was training to play in the Olympics. And so we missed out on qualifying for 1992 in Barcelona, Spain, and we were all set to go play in Atlanta. And, uh, I don't know if you call it an injury, but I, I grew a tumor in my hip and I didn't know it. And it was right on top of a nerve causing all kinds of radiating pain. And they finally found it a week before the Olympic trials in 1995. Wow. So, so I was gone. I, I, I couldn't recover in time for that. And even though I had been the captain of the team for a number of years and I had played on it for a number of years, by a U.S. Olympic Committee standards, I have to try out. So I missed it. So there it goes. And I went into a pretty deep, uh, dark place for a little bit. I came out of it by going back and 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 starting to do what I know how to do, coach. And so I started coaching at at Ohio State University for a while as one of their assistants. And as I figured out what I wanted to do, I knew for me, I I really love the idea of teaching, leading. And so I started a business that was with a a partner who was 10 years my senior. It was one of my mentors in life. His name is Peter. And we started a real estate investment company. And we started buying houses. And we started teaching other people about it. And before we knew it, we were doing a couple hundred houses a year. We were coaching 1,500, 2,000 clients a year. And after almost 10 years of that, I sold my half of the company and moved on. And so for the last 15 plus years, I've been working with small, mid-sized business owners and their staff of how do you grow a company and get your life back? I mean, so many of us think that to be successful, you know, what we have to do is we have to just work longer and harder. And I tell you, I had this experience where my first two kids were born and they were born actually in Charlottesville, right where you're at. Yeah. right. Um, at, at Martha Jefferson Hospital. Yeah. That's and where my kids they were, were born. There we go. And so as they were born, I'm holding my two sons in my arms, and I'm flipping out. I've never held an infant before. My heart is opened up in a way that only a parent knows, and I never would have guessed. And I'm like, I do not want to get on the road again. And so I retooled the business. I kind of made the decision, a lot like an astronaut would make, where you have a certain minimum amount of consumables of oxygen and fuel, and you can't pull over and get more. That's all you have. And so I made the decision. I said you know what, I'm only going to work 40 hours a week max for across all the different companies that I have a stake in. And I'm going to take a minimum of 10 weeks of actual real vacation time. And I've been doing that now for about 12 years. And it's changed everything. Like before then, I still was pretty good. I mean, there were times when I had my businesses where I was taking three months plus off a year. But when push came to shove, if I needed to finish up a book or something happened where I had an opportunity to get on a plane and go give a keynote, I would do it. And now it was no longer an option. I just said, I'm not going to. And so as I progressed, I started teaching clients, how did I make those changes so that we could continue to grow double or triple digit rates, but at the same time, not have to sacrifice family health or life. And it's a, it's such a tough but false dichotomy, like we have to choose one or the other. We don't. Done right, you can actually have more career success, a better family, personal health life. But we have to change the model. The model is broken.
0: And I'll just add this little piece to – I want to dive into everything, especially what you just said there at the end. I want to add this piece to this The small world that we live in. is so wild. So I've been following – for the listener, I've been following David for, for many, many years. And I realized – I was like – he, this is like 10 years ago. He lived. I'm like, this guy lives in Charlottesville. So I, I looked you up and I realized oh, he had moved He moved out of Charlottesville at that point. I'm like, oh man, I, I, I missed him and I hadn't had a chance to meet him, but um, had sort of been following you online and, and following some of your teachings. And then I hired a woman to help me with my prior business. Turns out she worked for you, Sandy, which was just such a wild coincidence. And then uh, my wife also went to UCSD like you did. And just a lot of coincidences and in, uh, in, in places where our paths have kind of Crossed in the past. So I'm so finally glad that we got to get to, to do this interview here. And so this idea of cutting it off at 40 hours, this idea of not sacrificing our family and our health and everything, you know, it, because as former athletes, especially... We have this mindset that more is more right we 've got to train more we 've got to watch more film we 've got to do more conditioning, lift more weights do you know get to rehab rehab our injuries, break down film all this stuff that you can do to get better to get better to get better well in business like, like certainly there 's that aspect right there 's hard work and I, I like to call it like inspired action there 's a difference between hard work and inspired action like when you 're inspired it, it 's it's, it's more enjoyable right when you can find that but but more is not always better right so how do you do that, right? How do you how do you right. first of all make the mindset shift because there's a lot of people out there listening right now going, "Yeah, whatever, like this is just another guy saying that you don't have to work that hard." Like like how do you actually how do you, you know. make that shift? Like, I think psychologically first, and then how do you tactically start doing that? Let's do both
1: of those. So let's hit the mindset piece first, but then we're going to get into some real nitty-gritty concrete stuff. Because I think of anything I've become known for in the world, it's been not the person who's going to say what you should do, but specifically, concretely, how how do you do the what to do? And just for the mindset, you used a great analogy for an athlete. So. I used to think I would have to train many, many hours, and I did, but here's the difference. When I I moved into residency at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs in preparation for for training for the Pan Am Games, we didn't train more hours, but the hours we trained were qualitatively different and better. At a certain point, more hours just means you're going to have more injuries. You can't be doing 10, 15 hours per day of physical activity. You're going to get hurt. Instead of that... It's better quality. Like, for example, I moved overseas to play for a foreign club team in Australia. Now, in my sport, where I used to play field hockey, one of the two best club systems in the world. And someone there showed me my grip and my—I mean, this is crazy. My grip was a quarter of an inch off. But when I fixed that, it changed everything about my game. It changed my vision. I gave me another probably three or four feet of of peripheral vision just because it changed all the mechanics. That wasn't from more. It was from better. Better is more. Right. More is not better. So let's go back now for the mindset. There, in the business world, there are people who operate in two different economies. And I, I, I use this as just an analogy. The first economy we talk about is the time and effort economy. And this is the economy that says, I want to get ahead. I, I work harder. I work longer. I work nights and weekends. I bring stuff with me on vacation, which is kind of defeats the purpose. And that works to a certain point. But at a certain point, it caps out. One extra hour producing one extra hour of output caps out. And at a certain point, there's a degrading relationship. One extra hour in doesn't even give me one extra hour yeah, of output. Point it of diminishing returns. That's right. And so if a, the time and effort economy had a, a, a poster child, probably be like Rocky Balboa, right? You know, <laughs> hey, I'm still up here. I'm still standing after 15 rounds. I'm battered. Right. I'm bruised, but I'm still standing. Right. And, you, and you go, well, hey, that, hey, he's a world champion. But first of all, that was Hollywood in the 1970s. Number <laughs> sure. two let's push this through, there's got to be a more elegant solution. So there's an oper- There's another economy. We'll call this the value economy. And so if the time and effort economy says, hey, to be a good, committed team player, you've got to put the hours in, even if it means interrupting your family time, et cetera, the value economy says what you're on the payroll to do is create a result. Your hours matter, but they matter only for the result that you generate. You think about it. I mean, we did a survey of I think it was roughly about 6 or 700 different business leaders. These were executives that worked at companies and also entrepreneurs, both. It was a mixed audience. And we asked them to, to figure out how many hours per week they were wasting on 10 particular things. We went through a list. The average was over 18 hours per week was going wow. on these low-value tasks. And that's not unusual. You, you think of how much of your day you're spending doing low-value email. We'll talk about some ideas for email in a little bit. So the value economy says, look, what matters is the result that we're generating. We need time. No question. You have to have time. But we need a different type of time. We don't need this mass of raw, undifferentiated hours. What we need is we need some of our best time back in blocks. Most people, what they do is they invest their time, five minutes here, 15 minutes there, half an hour meeting, five minutes for this, 10 minutes for that. And what they do is they treat all things the same just to tick off the tasks on their to-do list. And it has a, a very limited result from that. Instead, like, how can I put my very best one, two, three hours in a day on my highest value-creating activity? And we'll talk about what that looks like here today. But when I do that, it changes everything. Uh, like, for example, there's a guy I work with. He uh, is a senior partner at a large, law for, uh, a large law firm in his area. And, you know, bills at a high rate, $600 plus an hour, great guy. And he used to say the highest use of his time was doing billable work. And I challenged him on that. I said, when you do billable work, you make a lot of money, you know, over a million dollars a year for billable work. I agree. Gross-wise, that's a lot of money. However, you know, you might make a decision, like, for example, on billing rates for his other staff, paralegal and secretarial staff. He made it – it took him half an hour when he had the facts in front of him and what his his contemporaries in, in the marketplace were charging. He was able to push billing rates about 20 to 30% higher for his paralegal and secretarial staff. He made over half a million wow. dollars more in one, took him what, probably three hours to gather the data, Yeah, half an hour for me to convince him not to be afraid of making the leap to raise the pricing. And then it took his staff probably about another six hours to change their billing software. <laughs> so less than 20 hours in yeah. for half a million dollars, yeah. that's a lot more than a $600 per hour billing rate. Yeah. And those types of things you'll never get if you don't reclaim blocks of your best
0: time and when you look at that okay so another half a million dollars in income and now you can work less right you can work less you can play more let's say, like like you know you you may love your job but like there there's probably other things you want to do right you want to go skiing you want to spend time with your family you want to go on vacation you want to you know you want to learn a new skill you want to build that side business whatever it is like there are other things that you want to do with your time and so finding these leverage points is so is so important and and one of the things that I talk with my clients a lot with is what you know using the same terminology is what is your highest value work and what are the low value tasks that you get bogged down in so what do you find david in terms of low value tasks? what do you find most people get bogged down in and then how second question like follow up to that is like how do they how they either do that or delegate it or be more efficient with it or Let's let's build on that.
1: Let's give them a model here. So everyone that's listening. This has probably heard of the 80-20 rule. They've heard of this Pareto's principle, right? 80% of what I do gives me 20% of the result. Very low value. We call that D time, this low value mass stuff. It might be email that's not important. It might be unsolicited phone calls that we don't care to get. It might be errands that we're running for our business or our personal life. It's the low value junk. Social media. There we go. If that's true, then then 20% of what we do gives us 80% of the return. We call that C time. That's valuable work, but that's most people, that's their only distinction around time, you know, between D and C time. Let's take that 80-20 rule and apply it again. If 20% of what I do gives me 80% of the result, then 20% of that 20% will give me 80% Uh. of the 80%. And the math, I'll do the math for your listener, right? It's 4%, that this 4% sweet spot gives me 64% of my output. Now we're talking qualitatively different stuff, where C activity might be me as the attorney doing a billable job, B activity might be for me um, speaking at an industry convention wherein I might generate 20 or 30 um, client opportunities for our firm, right? So let's take it one more time. So if 20% of what I do of the 20% gives me 80% of the 80%, one more math moment, I'll do all the math for your listener, (laughs) then 20% of the 20% of the 20% gives me 80% of the 80% of the 80%. That's that magic 1% in that literally gives me half the result. And so if I look at this, we call that A time. And here's the thing. I need to make sure for between 5 to 10 hours of my week, is spent in A and B activities. A and B activities can't be done in slivers of remnant time. If I only give them slivers of remnant time, five minutes, 15 minutes, I won't do them. It, it, it's like saying to my kids, hey, I've got five minutes before I have to rush off to do an errand. Let's have a quality moment. It doesn't work that way. You can't right. put pressure that way. So instead, I need to block off some some pieces. And I'll, and I'll talk about how to do that here. But when we think about it, so let's go back. Let's say I, I run marketing for a, a mid-sized company. And in my world, I can do things like, for example, you know, handle some low value tasks, my D activities, my, my expense reports for a trip travel arrangements that I'm making. I can meet with uh, my staff just to get a progress report that might be a C activity. I can step out at the beginning of a project and really get clear on this is the you know we're going to be doing this pay-per-click campaign and this is how we're going to manage it. And these are the scores that we're looking for, our click-through rate and our conversion rate. And I can get clear on that. That might be a B-level activity or depending on what it is how jugular it is, it might even be an A-level activity. I don't need a lot of A and B in my life. I just need some. And so here's the key thing. We talk in our world about focus days and push days. So here's what I would ask your listener. Make one day each week a focus day, Hmm. a day that you're going to carve out just a two or three hour block of focus time in one chunk at your best time. If you're a morning person like I am, it's after I drop my kids off at school. I come in for me somewhere about 815 to about 1130. That's my best time of the day. One day a week, you're going to block that off and you're only going to do one or two A or B level activities that you have. So, for example, go back to marketing. We have a woman who works for us, runs our marketing. Her name's Kim. And Kim is incredible. When we first started working with her, though, she was totally in the time and effort economy. She got a massive amount of work done. But she treated everything the same. Just tick it off. Just get it done. Just get it done. Time and effort. I talked with her a couple months ago. I said, look, Kim, I see a real future for you with us. I'm going to push you and challenge you on something here. It feels to me like you're giving your very most important marketing tasks the same attention as the lower value stuff. You're getting it all done, but you're under-investing in the most important stuff. So what if you were to take a focus day, one day a week, and she chose to do four hours every Tuesday, and she stepped back and she would actually do things like analyzing the A-B testing results and make changes and, and other things that just got busy that she didn't do? She is so much more productive now. In terms of creating more leads, better better value for our company because of that. She didn't work an hour longer. The same time she's working, but she's creating a lot more value. So one day a week, I make my focus day. Here's the key with it. I've got to put it in my calendar as a recurring appointment. Otherwise, I promise you, I'll just schedule right over it or I'll deal with other emergencies right over it. Treat it as if it was an appointment to a third party. And then on your push days where you're just kind of pushing projects one more step down the road, Give yourself the gift of one hour of focus time on each of those push days. And so you might say, okay, on Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm going to give myself from eight to nine o'clock. And then on Thursday, I have to do my focus time from three to four, just because the way the schedule is, I have staff meetings on Thursdays. What you've done is you've got a three hour chunk on Tuesday. One hour on Monday, one hour on Wednesday, one hour on Thursday. All you've changed, as you said, out of my 60 hours I'm already working, I'm taking five or six of them and I'm going to upgrade. I still got the other 90% of my hours. Here's what I would I would tell your listener. If they do that for just even two weeks, what they'll notice is they get more real value done for their role in their career from those six hours of focus time than they do from the other 90% of it left over. And when they start doing it that way, what it lets them do is it lets them reduce some of the other hours because they don't need it. They're getting much higher nutritious value. And I think about it as like a buffet. You you go to a buffet, like I love Vegas, not for gambling. I'm horrible at that. I don't do that, (laughs) but I love it for buffets. And so when I go to a buffet, the most important plate of food is the first plate of food. And if I eat the junk desserts, what will happen is I'll fill up on junk empty calories. Most of us are filling our business schedule with empty junk calories. So if I can just make the first plate of food nutritious, the good value meetings that I have, the the project work that actually makes a difference, even if I do all the other stuff the same way, I'm still going to have a much better result from those five or six hours. So that's kind of my first way. And it's, again, it has to be a recurring appointment. I'll give an example. There's a guy we work with. His name's Jesse. He runs a home improvement company and I saw him at a conference and he was telling, I was, it, it wasn't even one of ours. It was someone else's. I was keynoting there. And he said, David, I'm, um, I just have to say, I'm struggling a little bit here. I find myself, you know, feeling really stressed. I feel stretched. I, d- I just don't feel like I'm as productive as I need to be. And I, I laughed. I said, Jesse, give me your phone. And he's like, what, what do you mean? Give me your phone. I said, give me your phone. So he hands me his phone sheepishly. So I say, please, you know, pull it up to your face, open it up. And so I'm looking at his calendar. I say, I don't see any recurring appointment here for focus time. And he looked at me and he goes, got it. The next time I saw him at one of our events, six weeks later, I said, Jesse, give me your phone. And what does he have? He's got his recurring appointments. It's so simple, which is why we discount it. I shouldn't yeah. need to do that, right? But we all do. If I don't put it in my calendar, I revert back to the default time and effort economy. But if I put it in there, it's amazing how much more value
0: I'll create too. And and that's the interesting point is like, if you don't take that small, simple action, which is it's easy to do, it's also easy not to do. But if you don't take that small, simple action, even you, David, the expert, the guy who teaches this, the guy who's mastered this, you can still fall back into that default, right? And and I think that's what a lot of people do is they, they go, oh, well, that's, that seems pretty simple. I'll do that. It sounds like a good idea while I'm driving down the road or or working out of the gym listening to this great podcast where they're talking about this. And then you go and you shower up or you get to wherever you're at and 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 then you don't do it, right? So I encourage the listener actually do that thing. So something that I realized just a few months ago was was this idea that my calendar kept getting booked up and so I book In every week, I I do this, but I'm going to take it to another level now, having talked to you about the the sort of 1% that gives you about half of, you know, this is your A time, right? I'm going to block that A time, but I I block off, I call it deep work. I block off that time on my calendar, and I failed to do that this week. And this week i've been scrambling and i've been scrambling and and there are these things, these high value tasks that that I'm not getting to It's the little things that I know that I need to do to grow my business and to live a balanced life and to be you know the best version of myself. well, yeah I, I fell off that this week. Because, and it well, makes that difference, doesn't it? Sure, it does. It makes a huge, and, and it's the little thing, this little thing. If you don't set, this is one tactic, and I'm sure you have a million of them in your book and, and, and you know, the Freedom Formula as well as other books, but this is like this one small thing that leads to big things. So that's, that's a, that's a and, great tactic. And two easy follow-ons to this. So
1: here's Please. how I, I, you know, most of your listeners are going to be people who have ambitions to be successful in their career. So if this is important for me to do, two things I can follow. Number one I should talk to my boss. Hey, boss, what do you consider to be my A and B level activities? and What do you consider to be my D activities? You can ignore C. That'll happen by itself. I want to know what my D is so I can rob from D to invest more in A and B. But I want a written list that these are the three, four, five, six things that I'm most on the payroll to do. And if I'm a manager shouldn't I sit down with each of my direct reports sure. and go through, hey, this is what you do that creates value. This is how you succeed. But we don't do it. We skip the step, and then we wonder why they aren't performing. Secondly, if it's important for me to take a focus time, I should sit down with Kim and say, hey, Kim, I want you taking focus time. Matter of fact, we just did our executive offsite. Kim's now taking every Tuesday and Thursday of focus time, wow. and the results are shown from that part. So that's an important one. Um, And that's something that when you look at the freedom formula, this idea from the book, we talk about the first half is about how do you do this yourself? All the concrete nitty gritty. The second half is how do you leverage your team? Because when my staff starts doing it the same way, this is one of the ways I get my life back. And there's some others. Like, for example, we need to talk about something here called strategic depth. The moment I start doing this and things start working, when our team is humming along what'll happen is if I'm not careful, entropy comes back in. And so the four steps of the formula, just let me lay it out here. So I'm gonna give Please. you the, the cliff note version of the first half of the Freedom Formula book. So the first step is to, to basically commit yourself and your team that you're going to operate in the time and effort economy. We knocked that off in 15, 20 pages. Now the rest of the book is the mechanics. Second step, I've gotta reclaim some of my best time. I've given you one of about a dozen different strategies from the book about how to reclaim some blocks of my best time third step i've got to reinvest those blocks in what i call your fewer better and and we can talk about that time permitting there but there's a there's you know from a one-page action plan for you and your team every quarter to we call them weekly big rock reports to doing what we call sweet spot analysis some simple tools that they can use for that the fourth though says I've got to sustain these gains that we've made by creating strategic depth. And I'll give a quick example. One of the companies that I shared a story in the book, we changed a few of the names to protect the innocent, so to speak. But (laughs) it was a particular company. Her name was Elizabeth. And she works for a large Fortune 100 company. And she's one of their key doers in an area of their business. But she works 90 to 100 hours a week. She is in her early 50s. She is so close to heart attack, burnout, or oh. just retirement to throw it all up. Yeah, And she's the one that does the count work on their single largest marquee customer. Wow, She's got no one else in that account doing what she does. They have no systems for what she does. If she wasn't there to, to interpret these, you know, whatever it is, 50 sheet spreadsheets, they would lose or at great risk of losing this incredibly lucrative client. That's just dumb. That's bad business. It's bad humanity, but bad business. So, We talk about building strategic depth, and strategic depth says we always focus on having really good systems, cross-trained team, and a culture of doing these things so that should we need a backup, Elizabeth, there is a backup for that person. Whether it's one person or six that you've kind of distributed what she does, we don't want to be reliant on any one, including yourself. And so when I do this, like, for example, every quarter, and this is something from the book, in my company, we ask in each of our key departments – what are one or two steps we can take in our department this quarter to increase strategic depth? It might be a hire that we need to have to have a deeper bench. It might be something that we need to cross-train our, our number two person on. It might be that your number two person's the only one. She's the only one who knows how to do something. So maybe she needs to document it and cross-train a few other people. And when you make that part of your culture – What it does is, invariably, someone's going to get married and and travel across the country. An elderly relative's going to get hurt. A child's going to be born. Or someone's going to get upset with somebody else in the office and quit. And we don't want to have all these wonderful gains go out the window when that happens. We have to be prepared, whether we're leading a two-person team or a 2,000-person department or division of a company, we have to implement strategic depth to sustain these gains.
0: I want to hear also about this idea, some ideas you might have around email, because I think email is something that everybody gets bogged down in. You know, you, you pick up your phone in the morning, you, and the first thing you do is you open and you go straight to email, right? And it's like, Oh man, this, it's, it's, it's never ending. You get to inbox zero and you you put your phone down or you walk away from your computer and and boom, there's five more emails starting to build up, right? So any tactics or strategies for dealing with that?
1: So for anyone who's got the book, The Freedom Formula, I refer you to back to page 68, where we talk in there about 12 different tips to master your inbox, but I'm, I'm going to give you two right now. So the first thing about email is we get obsessive about it. So here's my first advice to you. Age your email, especially the less important email. The faster I hit reply, the more email I get back. There are all kinds of studies about it. So yeah. if it's my boss, yes, I'll reply quickly. If it's my number one customer, yes, I'll reply quickly. But if it's a colleague, sometimes by waiting four hours or one day, I can reduce the amount of email I get by 20, 30, 40 percent. If it's an outside vendor, maybe I'll wait a day or two. Now, if I want to respond, maybe I use the delay delivery function. So I do it now, but it doesn't send it for a day or so. And here's here's the thing it does. If you've ever found yourself having an instant message conversation back and forth in email, you're not delaying your email. You're not aging it enough, and it's a big deal. Second one, most of your email comes from internal sources, most. And so what I do is I look at internally. We have a rule that we do inside of our company. We call it the one, two, three method. So when we do internal email, not external, but internal, every subject line we make sure has a one, two, or three in the subject line. A one means this is urgent and you have to take action because it's very important look at this first so when I scan my inbox if I ever see a 1 I know I've got to deal with that right away a 2 means this is something you need to take action on do it in a reasonable period of time for us you know it's usually going to be somewhere between 4 to maybe 8 hours one business day typically a 3 says hey this is FYI I want to keep you in the loop. You don't have to do anything with it. So what that lets me do is I can send an email to you, Jim, and it might say, I might send it to you and maybe I CC over to Kim because she needs to be aware of it. So I might say, two, Jim, three, Kim, colon, update on the schedule for our interview on Skype. And I want Kim to be aware. I want you to know. So now when you scan your inbox, you know how to process it better. By using better subject lines, I can reduce the load of email, and probably 30 to 50 percent of your email every day is internal. I can reduce the load for you. It just it, and it makes me think about what do I want. I, I don't ramble in my email nearly as much because I'm thinking, do you do I need you to do something? Did I make that clear? So that one, two, or three method is just one more of those 12 tips, and it works really
0: that. well. Wow. And I I went to Facebook today to actually go into my Pathfinder, my my client group, private Facebook group. And I've got something on I've got I've got an app installed in in Google Chrome. It's called Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator. And it eradicates my newsfeed so I don't get sucked in, right? Just like you can get sucked into email, you can get sucked into social media and Facebook, and they're really good at this, right? But what it does, it eradicates my news feed, so I can't see it and get sucked into that, but it replaces it with a motivational, some kind of quote. And the quote today, right before our interview, was this. It says, uh, the quote is, So often people are working hard at the wrong thing working on the right thing is more important than working hard. I'm going to say that again. Working on the right thing is more important than working hard. And the person who said that is Katerina, and I may be pronouncing the last name wrong, Fake, F-A-K-E. But Katerina Fake, uh, she's the founder of Flickr and the chair of Etsy. Like This is somebody who has to maximize her time, right? And that's what you're talking about. So, So, hitting the pause button and actually doing the work to set this kind of email system, this one, two, three email system up in your business, that's probably A or B level work because that's going to, that's high level work that's going to replicate in, in, you know, you spend, you know, a half an hour or an hour setting this up or communicating this. And then it gives you back time, you know, forever, right? As long as, as long as you're in the organization. So, uh, this is high value work that we're talking about. And so, what do you have some freedom accelerators that you talk about, David? What are these freedom accelerators that can help people get their life back faster?
1: Yeah. So in the freedom form of the first half of the book is how do you do these things yourself? You know, how do I focus on my fewer better? How do I carve out and reclaim six or more hours of my time? How do I build strategic depth into my role? That, that's the first half. The second half of the book says, how do I make this formula go faster for my team, my division, my department, or if they're an entrepreneur, my company? And, and, and so those are things about getting your whole staff doing that. Now, my staff might be three people, me plus two others. My staff might be me plus hundreds of others. You know, we work with small, mid and large size companies. So, for example, one of the accelerators there is to be a better coach for my team. Mm. If I've got four people that I work with and I manage and two of them are extraordinary, how do I coach them to get the most from them? And most people don't know how to be a good coach at all. So, for example, we talk in there about how to be a coach i building a leadership team. So I'm not just building good doers, but I'm building people who can really put their decision, their just their discernment, their business judgment forward and be leaders of other people. And, for example, we share in there – one of my friends runs a, an $80 million a year retail business. Really nice guy. He shared something. With me. He said, David, we call it can't do, won't do, don't know how. And I thought, what, what do you mean by that? He said, well, when you have a challenge with one of your employees, right, uh, is it because they can't do it? They won't do it or they don't know how. And as soon as he said that, I go, oh, of course. If they can't do it, I've got them in the wrong role. And if I don't have a role for them, I can't have them. If it's they won't do it, they need to be off my team. And if they don't know how, it's a training issue, right? Those types of things. Uh, for example, I share in there a story. One of my mentors as a leader, um, her name was Stephanie. Stephanie had built one of the most successful medical device companies in the, in the country and a former uh, chairperson of the National Association of Manufacturers. She's a co author of one of my earlier books, Build a Business, Not a Job. Well, about nine years ago, she challenged me. She said, David, Grab an index card, and she had me write one sentence question on that index card that changed how I am as a leader. So here's what she had me write: I don't know. What do you think we should do? Yeah. And when my staff comes to me with, you know, you know, David, what do you think we should? I, I say, I don't know. What do you think we should do? And I've learned I put another question on the back side now, which is hmm, if I wasn't here and it was totally up to you, what would you decide? Mm. And when Love I started that. pushing my staff back with this, it's amazing. They grow and my the, the amount of things on my list shrink. This is way, a way that you make the freedom formula go faster. I leverage and work through other people and get them in the value economy, not in the time and effort economy.
0: I want to take that for the listener and help you translate that into not just a business tactic and strategy, But also for parenting, for example, right? Your kids, they come up to you and say, Daddy, how do I do this? Or can I do that? Or, you know, I've got a problem with this. You know, turn that around on them. I don't know. What do you think? And they give you ideas, right? And you're empowering people and people want to be empowered, right? And and so, so many of the things you're talking about, David, are relevant for, they're for relevant for business. They're relevant for work. They're relevant for managers. They're relevant for, for managing up even, right? Uh, or managing sideways. And, um, and it's just so important to, to really leverage these and think about these things in, in, in all the areas of our lives. Let me ask you this. I want to shift a little bit, uh, for the rest of our conversation to, to you personally. What habits do you have that you feel have set you apart? Like what What are the, the habits that you feel, and maybe you've covered those, right? Um, but is there one habit that you feel like that over the years you really have done that, that you credit towards your success?
1: Well, I'll, I'll answer it a little bit slightly different. So, you know, the, the hardcore you know, techniques that you know, we've talked about are in the book, but I'm going to answer it differently. So I, I've, I've, in my past, and probably still have remnants of it, was that type A hard charger? How do I build? How do I grow? How do I? And what I found for me was uh, that was good for success, but not great for fulfillment. So there's a practice that I do each week called uh, I keep a daily uh, journal where it's just simply each week I start a new page in the journal and I put in there. Steps that I took toward my goals, I put a little plus sign for those. I put a little M with a circle for magic moments. And, in, in, you know, it might be like, for example, last night, my, my youngest son came and snuggled with me in bed. It was beautiful. Yeah, what a great best. magic moment. Right. And I'll put another one for BL with a circle around for blessings. And what I found for me, I can go back now for years of this. All it does is it calls my attention to the fact that, you know what, life is really good. And I can compare myself to all kinds of people who have more, achieve more, seem to have it all. But if I can just remind myself I'm taking steps toward things that matter, there are magic in my life, there are blessings that are there, I feel fulfilled. And that is more than any anything else is worth.
0: And for the listener— I can't. You can't make this stuff up. I did not plant this question. I didn't let David know that I was going to ask that. But as you know, for the listener I'm talking to, I ask this question of so many of my guests, and and when I get the answer, it's never it's never doing right. David didn't just say it's prospecting, like I'm, I'm networking or <laughs> I'm, I'm even creating content, or it's a version of pause. And, and David, I I. My clients or my, my, my listeners know this. I say this ad nauseum, but this idea, I, I, I've given it a term. It's called the productive pause. It's always some version of stepping off the treadmill of life. It's this productive pause. And I, call, I define it as a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. Because that's what we're looking for is clarity of action and peace of mind. And that is such. Uh, a cool thing for to hear that, that that's something that you do. Um, and it's such a common thing, You know whether it's journaling, working with a coach, meditation, prayer, retreat, something like that. So thank you for sharing that. Now, how about a time that you failed, David? We look at you... I mean, I- I've followed you for many, many years. So I know all about your success and everything you've created. The listener um, is starting to get a taste of that and understanding of that. But but we look at somebody like you and we say, gosh, everything, you know, he's got the Midas touch, everything he, he touched turns to gold and everything's easy, right? The path always, has always been easy for David, but poor me, woe is me, right? Tell us about a time where you failed, a time where you failed and maybe felt that hopelessness or that that self-doubt that comes from failure and how you were able to work through it. Yeah, Well, fantastic
1: question. So I appreciate that. You know, whether it be not playing in the Olympics, I mean, I can talk about being an Olympic level athlete, but I can't talk about being an Olympian. I, I never got to do that, but I'm going to give a business one. So in 2008, I had a failed business partnership that didn't work out. I ended up buying my partner out of the company Maui Mastermind. And in 2009, we felt the world change for us sure. now in 2008 with the economic situation, we started feeling that in 2009. And I remember going to my wife, it's 2009 and um, I'm telling her, it looks like we're going to be feeding our business this year, three, $400,000 into the company, let alone, I'm not going to make anything here. We just had the birth of our wow. first two kids and I was feeling you know, a bit of a failure. I was feeling embarrassed to have to go to my wife and share that with her. And I said to her, I said, I, I believe eventually we can turn this around. I believe that there's no place that we can invest our savings that will give us eventually the same return. I love what I'm doing with this new company. And I'm going to ask, would you be willing to take this ride with me? And, and it's a risk. And I'm so grateful. She said, you know what? I, I could be happy living in a teepee. I could be happy living in a one-bedroom house. We don't need this brand. And she was all in with me. And that meant the world to me when my wife Heather said that. And I'd love to tell you that that year we, we turned a profit. We didn't. It took us two and a half years before we actually broke even, just shy of a million dollars of cash flow funded into the business. Wow. And, uh, you know, subsequently we've made back and it's been a good decision. But that was a really scary moment for me. And, and more so, and I think this is true for a lot of people in the business world, we, I, I measured myself at that time and I was 39 then. I measured myself as the one score of how am I doing as a provider, as a business person, and that's a, a lousy way to measure my life, right? We all know that now as soon as you hit your 50s and beyond, or if you're wise, you do it younger, but for the rest of us, it took us a little <laughs> longer. We would realize how stupid that is, but I didn't at the time, so that was a yeah. dark time in my life, and yeah. it took me a couple years to kind of come through the other
0: side of that. I appreciate you sharing that. I had a similar experience and, um, you know, there you gain so much insight, knowledge and perspective from that, but it's failure. It's hard and, uh, and there's pain there. So I appreciate you sharing that and, and, and pulling back the curtain a little bit. So David, for, for the listener who says, I'm in. I get it. I'm going to buy the book. Uh, I'm going to follow some of these principles and implement some of these tactics. What's one action that you can recommend to the listener take in the next let's say 24 to 48 hours? Like something one thing that they can do in the next 24 to 48 uh, 48 hours to really start creating more freedom in their own lives. Great. I'm going to give two. Number one, I do think they need to go to
1: their calendar right away, pick a time, Um, What's the one day a week they can carve out a two-hour block and make it a recurring appointment right there on their calendar? Explain to whoever their direct reports are. Explain to their their co-workers, hey, for this one two-hour block, if you could support me, I would really appreciate that. Number two, I need to ask, what's the best, most important thing I can fill that time with? So I need to ask myself, what are the A and B level activities that I do and what are the D level junk that I fill? No one's going to know initially what the difference between A and B are. It's going to be muddled. Yeah. If I call it A or B at first, over time, it will become clear. For the first three, four months of doing it, don't worry. A or B are obviously better than D. And again, when I've, I just want to start doing that one day a week, putting one or two A or B level activities in there. And it changes everything because I start saying, wow, I just feel like I got something really valuable done. I didn't just tread water. I didn't just stay in place. And now I'm inspired to do the rest. So that would be what I would tell your listeners, one simple thing they can do.
0: Love it. Very concrete, very clear action items. And for the listener, I encourage you to, to do that, right? Don't just turn the podcast off and go back to your life. Actually actually take this, this advice and, and implement it, and, and you will see, see the benefits come pretty quickly. David, thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Can you share how the listeners can find you, follow you, etc.? Yeah. So first of all, I'd love them to go to
1: freedomtoolkit.com. So freedomtoolkit.com. When they're there, they can either uh, have links to go to you know, different booksellers to get a copy of the Freedom Formula, or if they want and they're not totally sold yet, they can actually get a 50-page excerpt from the book. It'll give them two chapters from the book. And my feeling is they'll get so much value from the two chapters that they'll do that at freedomtoolkit.com. And I'd ask one favor. If anything that we've talked about here has touched anybody here, here's my favor. Once you get the book, would you please take two or three minutes just to do a review on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Goodread? It it used to be that the fact that all these other cool people endorsed the book, friends of mine that I've I've done business with, it's almost meaningless now, those cover blurbs from people who did all (laughs) kinds of cool stuff, you know— it you know it doesn't matter that stephen pressfield uh, wrote yeah. the legend of beggar vance it doesn't matter right. because no one cares what they care about is what people on amazon and yeah, barnesandnoble.com so and so if they could do that it would be a true gift back and yeah. i would really really value that
0: david gave us a lot of gifts here in this show so i encourage the listeners to to actually do that and so i'll do the same so uh, thanks for pointing that out
1: Thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure to join you here. And I wish everybody great success applying these ideas to get their life back.
0: Yeah. Likewise, I appreciate your time. And for listener, I'm going to have all the links. And and as you know, the action plan, you can get the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshowjr.com slash action. You'll get all the links, all the show notes, all all the great advice will be condensed right there into a PDF for you to check out. So, um... Thank you, David. And for the listener, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success.